sitting or teaching a class, you have to prepare, right? So it kind of forces you to study a little bit. So uh, it's, it's been good. Of course, it's been very busy too, but it's a wonderful study. And I really, I really enjoy preparing for class. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful book. I mean, it's power, so powerful. You know, you just read, read a few verses and you say, man, you know, and you, and you know, you've read it before, but it just comes over you again. You know, it just hits you again, and it's a wonderful thing. So uh, we've talked about the, the reason John was written, and of course, it's a little bit different. We've talked about that. There's the four Gospels. Uh, we have the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the Synoptic Gospels because they are similar. Uh, but John's different. John's a different Gospel, different style, and he writes about many different things that Jesus did. Of course, we know the reason it was written, right? We've talked about this every week. I hope you know it by now. John 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And what a, what a wonderful two verses. I mean, you, you can just read those two verses and know what the gospel is all about, right? That's it. We believe in his name and we have life. We have life in his name. Of course, we need to know who this Jesus was. We need to know what he was about, why he was sent. And of course, we read a lot about that in the first, very first chapter of John. But we need to understand these things, right? So that's why we study it. But man, what a powerful two verses right there. We can have life in his name. Life everlasting beyond this world, right? But also wonderful life in this world in this life we can have abundant joyful life in his name i mean without him really what do we have you know we're, we're, we're just existing right we're, we're just here uh muddling through you know day to day going from problem to problem working playing whatever it is but what's the point right what's the point without him what are we here for so that's one of the reasons we study the Gospel of John. We study about the life of Jesus to find out who this man was. I mean, if we're going to be having life in his name, we need to know who he is, right? We need to know about him. We need to know why he was sent and what he's all about and why it is that we can have life in his name. I mean, that's powerful, isn't it? Well, last week, we were studying in the book, in the chapter, chapter 4, and we talked about... Uh, the, we, we were, we were referring back, which we had been doing for the last few weeks, when John was at the well meeting the Samaritan woman, uh, and I mean when uh, Jesus was at the well meeting the Samaritan woman, and he, just, he had a little dialogue with her about, about life and, and uh, what it meant to uh, have uh, living water, right? Not just a drink. He asked her for a drink at the well, but to have living water, and he was able to show her things about her life that she didn't know how he knew. And it amazed her. It amazed her she was able to go back and tell people back in her town that she had met the prophet, maybe even the Messiah, the one that it had been prophesied about. And then we talked last week about a statement that Jesus said to his disciples after that. He said, some, he said, uh, one sows and another reaps. And he talked about the harvest. Talked about working in that harvest, right? And how one person may sow the seed of the gospel of the truth and another may reap it, and that's okay. And kind of using the example, because as he, was, as he was saying that, the people were coming out from the town to see who he was, find out who this person was that this woman had told them about. She'd spread the word. 
You see, he had been evangelizing her. He had been telling her who he was. He had been sharing the good news with this woman. And because of that, she went and spread the gospel. Yeah, it, it's, it's not the gospel that he has died and resurrected yet, but that he is the Messiah. And really, that's what it's all about, right? And so he said, one sows and another reaps. We talked about how we are to be busy in the vineyard. We are to be busy in the kingdom, working, sowing the seed, reaping the harvest. No matter who did the work, we are to be joyful and rejoicing in the fact that the harvest is plentiful, the harvest is there, and we can be working in that kingdom. What a joy it is, right? What a joy, joy it is to be serving uh, in the church, in the kingdom of the one who created the universe. I mean, what can be more joyful than that, right? And like I said, without that, we have no point. Right? We have no purpose. We have no reason to even really be here, right? What's the point? We just exist. We can be at work serving the God of the universe. That's an awesome thought. It really is. And I hope you can ponder that. I hope that comes into your thoughts each day. I hope you're in prayer to him each day and you're in his word, trying to understand who this God is that has given us life through his son. Well, we talked about the fact that Jesus was an evangelist. Uh, he was a prophet. He was an evangelist. He was sowing the seed with this woman, and others believed in him because of that seed that he sowed. And the disciples reaped that harvest. They were able to uh, bring more people in that believed in who he was, understood who he was. So here we see the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? He's beginning his ministry, we know, uh, for about the last three years of his life on earth, uh, he was in ministry. He was uh, picking up followers, becoming fishers of men, you might say. And so we see that happening. But that ministry was not without controversy. I mean, with anything else in this world, right? When you start speaking, and when you start telling somebody, this is the truth, there's going to be controversy, is there not? In fact, I just heard a, a very good thing yesterday. A, a gentleman who claimed he was a Christian, claimed to be uh, a Christian, and he was talking about, he'd written a book about absolute truth and how you know what truth is, how you can know what truth is. Not through what, who we are, not through ourselves, but it has to be revealed to us through God, through a, someone who is greater than us, right? And we know that to be the God of the Bible, the Word, the God that sent His Son. We know the truth because He sent His Son that we may see in the flesh what the truth really is and be able to live an abundant life because of that. This world is a world of relativism. Very much so, right? Especially we've seen that more this year seems like than any other. It's all that really, the truth is, is it's what I believe it is. What's true for me, right? You hear that a lot. You know, you hear... Well, it's relative to me or you. My truth may not be the same as your truth. And I say that's baloney. I say I know truth because my God has revealed it to me. And therefore I obey. Therefore I obey. What a wonderful statement. Well, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he's going to create some controversy, obviously. One of the things that we're going to see him doing is healing someone. Miraculously. Miraculously healing someone. And oh, man... He messes up because he does it on the Sabbath. What? He healed someone on the Sabbath. And there's some folks that don't particularly like that. 
that has always blown my mind, right? Here he is, performs a miracle on the Sabbath, and people complain about it. Come on, man. He healed someone for crying out loud. That's always blown my mind that people could be that petty, right? That petty. That legalistic. That unloving. Here's a man that's been healed. And that all they can do is complain that it was done on the Sabbath. <clears throat> what did Jesus say about the Sabbath? Turn over to Mark chapter 2. Let's read something there. Mark chapter 2. And verse uh, 27. Well, actually, let's start with uh, let's start with verse 23. Now, it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath... And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. We see from that verse right there that God created the Sabbath for man so he could rest. And man turned it around and just blew it out of proportion. Made it this legalistic thing that they could hammer people over the head with. And that's not why it was there. It's not why the command is there. Jesus explained that right there. Another reason he has controversy in his ministry, and we're going to read about it in a minute, was because he said he was equal with God. Whoa! How dare him do that? How dare him make himself equal with God? They even sought to kill him because of that. But yet, they should have, honored, they should have shown him honor, right? They should have shown him honor because he showed them the Father, and he honored the Father through the way he lived. And by not honoring him, they failed to honor the Father. All right, open up to John chapter 5. We're going to read some few verses about this uh, miracle that he performed and what happened. It's, a, it's going to be about 30 verses, so bear with me. But I want to read through all of it before we continue with our study this morning. So starting in John chapter 5, verse 1. And if you just follow along with me, you can. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. What a glorious thing, right? First of all, it's kind of interesting that an angel's coming down and stirring up the water in this pool to begin with, right? That was happening. And people were being healed because of it. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, Who was cured 
It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. What? He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn. A multitude being in that place, afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Send no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Amazing. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Well, then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. All right, I know that was a little long, but it's a very powerful passage, very powerful statements that Jesus is making, right? He's saying... Basically, I am the son of God who's been sent, and I am equal with God. I am here doing the will of the Father, and you can know who the Father is by knowing what I, or seeing what I do, hearing my words, and doing like me. Therefore, we need to honor the Son, right? We need to show our honor for Him, right, because of that. Why should we do that? Why should we honor him and show him honor? Well, first of all, the son's going to raise the dead. I mean, our hope is that we have life after this life, right? We're all going to die. It's going to happen. But he's going to raise the dead. In fact, we have examples of that, don't we? We have examples in the scripture of him raising the dead. And if you truly believe who he is, believe that he is God, then you have to believe these things happen. Turn over to Mark chapter 5 and let's read about one of these. 
Mark chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Then verse 35, While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, so a taunt, and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead, but sleeping. So here we see Jairus' daughter being raised from the dead by Jesus. Miracle happened. He's the one that did it. He's going to raise the dead. Turn over to Luke chapter 7. Let's read another account. Chapter 7. Let's, let's look at verse, uh, verse 11. <clears throat> now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of the disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold... A dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so he was dead, sat up, and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has written up among us, and God has visited his people. Now, can you imagine, right? Coffin's being carried out, and the man in it sits up and starts talking. Scare the new what out of me. I mean, good grief. But yeah, he, come, he did it. He raised two, there's two examples he raised. And then also, I'm not going to read it, but we know what happened with Lazarus too, right? Come out of the tomb. He can raise the dead. And guess what? He's going to do it for you too whether you like it or not. And I hope you do like it. One day he's going to raise all the dead, see? Those who've done good to the resurrection of life. Those who've done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, Just as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. One man sinned into the world, another man sins taken out of the world. You're going to be raised one way or the other, right? So what's your choice, really? I mean, you got a choice, but do you really have a choice? If you use your common sense, right? What else is the son going to do? The son's going to judge the world. Verse 22 said, "Father, the father has committed judgment to him. He has the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man, the Son of God. He will exercise righteous judgment because, he said, he seeks the Father's will. The Father's will is to do good. The Father's will is to save us. 
because of his great love for us, and Jesus is going to judge us. One day Jesus will judge all mankind. His words will judge us in the last day. John 12 tells us that. He will stand for the we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Turn over to the book of Acts real quick, and let's just read about that. Chapter 10. Read a couple of verses on that. Beginning in verse uh, 39. And we are witnesses of all things which we did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before, God, before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. We're going to be judged. We're going to stand before him and be judged. Does that sound like a fun thing? Has anybody ever stood before a judge in a court here? I would imagine in this crowd somebody has, right? It's not a nice thing, is it? Pretty nerve-wracking. When you think about it, that judge has the power to really affect your life, doesn't he? Or she, right? And yet, that's just a man or a woman. It's not God. So imagine what that's going to be like. Of course, if we believe in his son, he's saying we have nothing to worry about. We're covered by his blood. So standing before that judgment seat, if we're as Christians, if we've been faithful to the end, we've got nothing to worry about. It's just a legal matter, you might say, right? It's just the time he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. The Son offers everlasting life to those who hear his words and believe in the Father who sent him. Verse 24. They shall not come into judgment and they shall pass from death to life. Remember that verse, right? You shall pass from death to life. If you don't have the Son, you're dead. Period. He also says the time for this offer is now, and now is. Talking about the scripture, and it still continues today, right? All those who are dead spiritually, and that includes anybody who's not in him, can hear the voice of the Son of God today, as 2,000 years ago. Same, same as 2,000 years ago. Those who hear or, or obey the word will live and be saved. The Son has the power to give life. Verse 26, because the Father has life in Himself. What does that mean exactly? Well, the Father has the life. He's the one who can give it. He has given us life in this world, in this life, in this body. And He can give it in the next life. Therefore, the Father granted the Son to have that life in Himself as well. That Jesus offers His gift of everlasting life is another reason to honor him, right? We should honor him because he can give us life. And there's many other reasons, many other reasons to honor him that could be given. But these are good ones, right? I mean, you don't really get 
more of the bottom line than that, right? It's not about the money. It's not about your physical life in this world, but what you do in the kingdom, whether you believe in his name, right? Well, how do we honor him? We got, we got, to, we got to know about that, right? We talked about that earlier. We have things revealed to us through the word. So how do we honor him? Well, first of all, you got to hear him. You got to hear his voice now. Verses 28 and 29, he says, One day, we're all going to hear his voice, whether we want to or not. So first of all, you need to hear his voice. You need to hear what he has to say. You're going to hear about him eventually, and all the rest of the folks that have lived on this world, in this world. Pretty powerful statement. How much better that day will be if we're able to hear his voice today and obey? Because of that, we get everlasting life. We'll not come into judgment. We can honor the Son by hearing and heeding his words. Now, I know I'm kind of speaking to the choir in here, right? I know, I don't know if there's anyone in here that has not obeyed. Maybe that's the case. And if you haven't, I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. And you could talk to anyone else in here. But you have the opportunity today to hear about his words, to hear his voice. And man, what a wonderful day to do something about it. Do something now so you don't get done something to you. Later, right? The old now and later thing. Yeah. Very important. That's how we can honor the Son. How else? By that obedience. By that obedience to His voice. It's not enough to simply hear what He has to say, but we also have to do things. We have to be doers. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're saved by works. You're saved by the grace of God. You can't do it on your own. Nothing you can do to save yourself. God saves you. But James tells us we show our faith through what we do. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, and let's just read a few verses from there. <clears throat> Beginning in verse uh, 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of the house was great. we got to do something. we got to do something. we got to have a foundation in Him. we got to be doers of the Word, not just hearers. And then turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, and let's read a couple verses from there. Get over there. Uh, 
25. And let's start with verse uh, 7. And he's, he's, ta- he's discussing uh, Jesus being a priest in the order of uh, the, uh, the high priest Melchizedek. And he says, verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. You see, Jesus suffered in this life. He was able to understand what we're going through. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to, and, and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. <clears throat> John 8 tells us, only by abiding in his word are we truly his disciples. Jesus is the author of, sal- of, eternal, of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Therefore, what do you got to do? Well, first of all, hear his word and abide in it. Understand what he has to say. Know the truth that's been revealed in his word. And first and foremost, you got to believe in him, John 8. You got to be repenting of your sins, Luke 13. Obey his call to confess before others, Matthew 10. Obey his call to be baptized, Matthew 28. Obey his call to remain faithful, Revelations 2. That's first and foremost. First and foremost. Man, I can't get my S's out today. Will we honor the Son by hearing his voice today? And that's another way to do it. And obeying. By seeking the Father's will now. Jesus sought his Father's will in all he did. All he did. How many times did you read a verse in the New Testament? I used to know the number. I've forgotten it. How many times did he go out to pray in the wilderness? Or to get away from the multitude? To pray. Get away from his disciples? To pray. How many times did he do that? Bunches. And I'm sure even more that we don't even have a record of. How are you going to know what the will of the Father is if you're not in prayer to him? Have a relationship to him. You've got to do it. And that's how you do it. You need to know what His will is for you in everything you do. It's not just going to work. It's not just going to school. <clears throat> How many of you ever heard a ball player after a game say, first and foremost, I give the glory to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You ever heard him say that? Yeah. And he probably, you might think, uh, that's kind of silly. But you know what? It's very true. We should be doing that. In everything we do. I don't care what you're doing. You should be doing His will and seeking His will in everything that you do. Yeah, I know. It's kind of silly to say, I'm playing a ball game for God or for the Lord. Well, that's kind of what He's saying here. Kind of what we're reading. Everything you do, seeking His will. Especially in your daily lives. Every day. What do you want for me today? What do you want me to be doing? We're in the kingdom to serve him, first and foremost. That's what we should be doing. His food was to do the Father's will. He was feasting on it every day. That's what he ate, the Father's will. And he glorified the Father by doing the the work that was given him to do. We read that in John 17. Jesus wants to do his Father's will. And he wants us to do that. 
That's how we honor him. Or else we're not going to enter the kingdom, right? Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Let's read a couple of verses from there. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? My falsettos kind of getting to the top there. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What's he mean by that? Right? I, I can do things. I can do works and things like that. But if I'm not in the kingdom, if I'm not in Him, if I'm not abiding in His Word in prayer, wanting to know His will for me, not going to get it. Not going to get it done. We can best honor the Son by emulating His example and doing the Father's will. That's one of the... Uh, statements I heard long ago about what, what it means to pray. And, and I've, I've tried to keep that in my mind as much as possible, but perhaps the biggest reason we pray is simply to align our will with God's will. We can read His Word, we can meditate on it, but that doesn't necessarily um, show us exactly what we need to be doing, right? Right? We have to cultivate that relationship with Him. We have to be in prayer to Him, asking the Father what He wants for us. What am I to do? What, how can I serve in the kingdom in a way that's going to help me, but help others first? And align my will with His. That's one of the things prayer does. I don't understand how that works exactly. I know we can't see God physically because He's spirit. But I know it's true. And I know we need to be doing it every day. Um, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to do that, right? It's a wonderful thing that we can go right into the throne room of God and speak on behalf of the blood of Christ, the mediator. We can do it. Do you ever think about that? Can you go to the White House and just walk into the president, the Oval Office and talk to the president? Not? No. I guess you could. If, but you might take six months to go through all kinds of preparations to do it or something. I don't know. But not with God. Because of what Jesus did. You can go right in there right now. We just did it. Right? That's awesome! Isn't it? Isn't that awesome? I know I get excited about that because he created the universe. And the universe is vast and awesome and just hard to contemplate, right? Uh, I don't know if you know, but the Geminid meteor shower is going on right now. It comes around about the middle of December every year. And I couldn't go out last night because it was raining. But I've gone out in the middle of the night before just to sit down and watch that. On a clear night, it's wonderful. If you've never done something like that, do it. It'll blow your mind. See those 
meteors streaking across the sky, those little light lasers. But to see something like that and know, how did this come to be? I mean, it couldn't have just happened, evolved. There's order there. And by the way, we know this, this is going to be there every December. Our God is great. Our God is awesome. We honor the Son through obeying His Word, being in His Word, being in prayer, lining our will with His. He's certainly worthy of it. Revelation tells us that. How great a God we serve, how great the Son is. Certainly worthy of it. Just as the Father is certainly worthy of our worship, our love, our, our willingness to obey. And like I said, all are going to honor His voice one day, whether you like it or not. That's true. That is very true. You probably don't ponder that very much. You might not want to think about it, right? Especially if you're struggling with something that's not right in your life. But it's going to happen. Therefore, we honor the Son by obeying Him now, by lining up our will with His, because at that point, every tongue is going to confess good or evil. So for those who are willing to honor him today by hearing his voice, we're all going to get to honor him together in that day. What a joyful time that's going to be, right? We sing about that, we talk about it, but do you ever really think of what that's going to be like? Can't imagine. But if you think about the most joyful thing that's ever happened in your life, it's going to be Billions of times greater than that. It's an awesome thing, guys. I hope you're thinking about it. I hope you continue to remain faithful, hear his voice, and obey. All right. Our time is up. Thanks for being here.